Today's episode is sponsored by the new Reefer Shield Differential Pressure Monitor from Westermeyer Industries. When the filter element of your coalescing oil separator is contaminated, it can hurt your system's performance and efficiency. But how do you know when it's time to replace the filter? Wait too long to service the filter, and you could end up with nasty filter blowout. But replacing too often can be a waste of time and money. The answer is installing a differential pressure monitor. The new Refresh Shield RDP-01 differential pressure monitor is available now with Westermeyer Industries. To find out more, email sales at westermeyerind.com. Once again, that's sales at westermeyerind.com. Look for the new pressure differential monitor available now. Hey, have you guys heard about the new Parker Sporlin S3C case controller? Contractors, how about a case controller with a one-day setup, access to more data, and efficient system operation for the end user? The S3C series of case controllers provides contractors and store owners automated configuration and network integration. You can maintain precise food temperatures without supervisory control. Easily monitors to prevent product loss, and Bluetooth provides a local connection with the TechCheck mobile app. The series includes case controller display module, a valve supporting open protocol, communication via BACnet and Modbus, Sporlin's mobile app, the TechCheck, allows communication with the S3C case controller to enable proof-of-work, diagnostic, and data sharing. The S3C communicates with building automation systems and works with Sporlin's SPW series of pulse-width modulation valves, also the SSR series of electronic expansion valves. Visit Sporlin.com for more information. Yeah, so this is going to be a fantastic show. Yeah, it better be, because tonight we're keeping score. Yes, and on a scale of 1 to 10, here's your score so far. <laughs> here's adventure. Here's romance. Here's the famous Robin Hood of the Old West. Cisco, he's sheriff, he's getting closer. This way, Pancho, The Cisco Kids. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. We're here with your host, Brett Wetzel, Kevin Compass, and we have a special guest tonight from Motion Industries, Matt Ansbill. How are you doing tonight, Matt? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, Kevin, I, I have to ask, uh, you know, how, how's your how's your week going? Horrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. <laughs> we were talking off air and, and uh kevin kevin's had a real rough uh uh rough couple of uh weeks you're tra- you're you've been traveling out of town right yeah i'm only like in two hours from the house i mean i'm still in, within the state of indiana but yeah i'm a, I'm on a job site where somebody tried to cut 45 days off the, the job and uh yeah we are paying for it we are paying for it indeed on, on the on the startup end. <laughs> yeah, um, I have. I, so if anyone uh, you know knows, I, I've been I've been staying at home here late uh, for the past you know couple because uh, my wife had back surgery. So I'm playing Mr. Mom and, and taking care of my wife, and I'm just and I'm I'm exhausted. <laughs> Matt, how's your week going, man? Not too bad. Uh, I got notification from a customer today. Um, they lost an entire 25 horsepower VFD panel for the second time. Um, the first time they don't have any idea where it went. That was about three or four months ago. And then mm-hmm. today they called me and said that uh, they had an asset recovery truck come pick up some stuff. And so it's gone off to a warehouse. They don't know what warehouse and so they're going to have to order the third VFD panel to make up for it. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, tonight, uh, guys, we're going to be talking about, you know, some advanced VFD stuff. I know, you know, Kevin and I have, have talked about VFDs in the past, but, um, you know, we're going to talk to uh, a, a guy that, you know, when I talk to, he makes me feel really dumb. So uh, we're going to get into it. Um, uh, before we do get started, I do want to uh, say hi to Shank. Uh he just went into the hospital. I just want to say hi to him, make sure he's doing all right. But um, so 
Wait, uh, let's so, let's get started. Um, Matt, uh, tell everybody about yourself. Uh, how long you've been in motion? How long you've been in the industry? I've been working for Motion Industries right at 27 years. Um, before that, I worked for the government, uh, aerospace and government down in Huntsville, Alabama. And then we created a HVAC department uh, out of our Kansas City, Missouri branch. And, and and that department has been running for about 15 years now. And you, you started that department, yeah? I, I did. Uh, we had uh, you know a large customer come to us. Funny story, what happened was uh, at my, I live out in the country, and so we had a hayride for our church, and there was a, a local farmer that donated his, his truck and his trailer, filled it full of hay. We were out on the hayride, and I asked the guy, I go, what do you do for a living? He goes, I work for Walmart, and I go, well, you know, maybe he's just a, a greeter or works in the outdoor or sporting department, and it turned out he was an HVAC manager for Walmart. Uh, for a, he's a regional manager and he said what do you do i said i work for motion industries i do ac dc drives motors controls and he said we're just now getting started in ac drives and we're having problems and issues and that that day started my life with uh, hvac stores walmarts refrigeration things like that and it's just snowballed ever since so if never if anyone's never had the pleasure of speaking with uh, Matt, um, you know he he works a lot with Walmart and Sam's Club and and uh, you know uh, helps helps with the troubleshooting and, and technical support for um, all the drives that they basically use uh, predominantly what Commander SK, Nidec, and um, Dan Fo Dan Foss and ABB, yeah. Yes, uh, control techniques was owned by Emerson and then Emerson Control Techniques, which is what we call, we still call them by that name. They were bought out by Nidic. And so the Commander SK was around for a long, long time. And that product line was obsolete about five years ago, but they still have thousands and thousands of out there, uh, not just at Walmart stores, but you know, the Aldi's, the Sprouts, uh, all over the place. And that particular VFD was replaced by the new generation of M400. And so we do the Emerson, the old Emerson, the new Emerson, uh, ABB, uh, the Danfoss. Um, I work with Schneiders and Alan Bradley. We don't, a, a lot of those systems are obsolete. And so we have replacement kits, if you will, for the Schneiders and the ABB, or I'm sorry, the Alan Bradley. Awesome. Um yeah, so uh, you know, if anyone's not familiar, uh, predominantly uh, Walmart and Sam's Club does uh, TD control, which I know we've talked about a whole bunch of times. You know, as far as uh, you know, with some of the, some of the other podcasts we've done, um, you know, uh, some of the uh, some of the drives that that um, are, are out there, you know, you have to uh, get programmed uh, from Motion Industries. Is that correct, Matt? It is. Um, the Commander SK had what was called a logic stick that was stuck into the front of it. Uh, some people just call it a flash drive. And that logic stick, each one of them had the memory capacity for to put the PT chart for one refrigerant on one logic stick. So if you had a store uh, or an application that you knew had R22, you would get R22 sticks. Um, if you ever had an upgrade to 422, uh, you would have to pull that stick out and replace it with a new stick. Now the the new M400s, what we do is we put a program into them that has all the refrigerants inside it. So all you have to do is go up and select what refrigerant you're using and that will replace uh, all of the Commander SKs and all of the logic sticks that were out there. Now, there are some applications that have a, that going back to the logic sticks and the programs, those are what we call smart VFDs. The VFD itself takes in typically uh, like a pressure transducer and a temperature probe, and that's where it does its TD calculations and it controls the speed of the motors or motors all by itself. There is also 
a dumb BFD, and that can be Danfoss or that can be uh, Emerson M400, and the EMS controller does all the calculations. It has the discharge pressure uh, or the drop leg pressure. It has the temperature, and it sends out an analog voltage to the VFD, and the VFD is in dumb mode, and it just does what it's told. Now, sometimes that signal now, is zero to 10 volts, and sometimes that signal is 10 to zero volts. No, no man, I got a question. Uh, so the M400 specifically, so that particular drive for, you can't just order an M400 from Emerson and just plop it in as a replacement, correct? I mean, doesn't it have to have the uh, PT stuff enabled in there? That is correct. Um, that we stock them on our shelf because you can't just order one from the factory or off the shelf. We put in a refrigerant program and it's embedded in the source code of the VFD itself. So when you take it out of the box, it has a different parameter set than default. And so, you know, it will come up and say, what refrigerant are you running? What pressure transducer do you have? What ambient temperature probe do you have? And all those parameters are not in the factory box. And so, yes, you have to get that uh, with the program already embedded in it. Uh, Emerson Control Techniques, NIDIC, they do not put the program in there. Uh, we do. Yeah, Kev, I had, I had an instance where someone ordered a drop. You know, I had specifically called Motion, uh, you know, I called Matt and, and got a quote from Motion. Uh, you know, basically gave them the part number of everything that needed to be happened. And then for some odd reason, you know, someone else went to go out and install the drive. Um, and I called Matt. I was like, man, I'm pretty sure, you know, I, I don't know where we got it from, but it, the program's not in there. And basically that's what, what ended up having to happen. We had to actually send the drive, you know, out to motion, you know, to get programmed because they, they goofed. Um, and I think ABB is like that as well, right? I think the only drive that you can actually, you know, program fully, right, is the, the Danfoss one. So you can take a regular standard, you know, Danfoss VLT. And, uh, and and basically, you know, take the take the fascia off and copy the program and, and, and put that over. And that's one of the only drives that you guys deal with, you know, for Dan or for Walmart and Sam's Club that does that, right? I thought the ABBs you could. It is as long as you the the ABB drive will come with a program embedded in the keypad. So if you Ooh, bought an ABB keypad. drive from XYZ company, it would not work. Uh, without the uh, the custom keypad that had the custom refrigerant program embedded in it. Okay. And the Danfoss would require the the COM module, uh, the I think it's the MCP module that would allow you to do what you're saying. Oh, the, the, it's a uh, where where is that installed on the drive? Um, so underneath the keypad is a uh, kind of like a motherboard attachment from the factory. Oh, okay. All right. Are you talking about the, where the terminals like fifty four and uh, is it fifty two or fifty three mount? Is that what you're talking about, Matt? Uh huh. Yes. Oh, okay. Yep. I know what you're talking about now. Um. Matt, I, it was something I want to go over like a lot. Me and Brett went over a little bit uh, the importance of like shaft rounding rings. Yes. Let me get back over here. So, when you put when you put motors on a VFD. Um, strange things start to happen either on large motors or on multiple motors uh, applications. So when you look at a refrigerant uh, application, you have a lot of small motors, but what you do is you add up the lead length to each one of them. So if you had a 10 fan condenser um, and the VFD was mounted inside the rack house, you know, you're looking at 15 feet per motor, 150 feet now, and then 20 feet from the uh, condenser uh, control panel down to the VFD. So you're looking at 150 to 200 feet of cable, and that's when bad things start to happen. Over like 75 to 100 feet, depending on the VFD, 
strange things will happen to the motors and put out harmonics and what we call corona. Uh, these voltages will go through the, the motor and they're trying to find a way to get out. And typically they will go through the drive-in bearing in order to get to a ground. So if you put a, a shaft grinding ring on it, then that will give them a low resistance path to ground and protect the front end bearing from what they call fluting. Um, think of it as little tiny lightning strikes. So every time the balls go round and round and they're building up this high voltage, they'll spark and it'll etch a small chunk of the race out. And so over time that will destroy the, the race of the bearing and that, that's when you can walk up to a condenser and you can hear the motors roaring, because roar, 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 or you can take a shaft and you can physically move it around. Typically that's caused by, um, you know, the effects of the VFD going through the bearings of the motor. So uh, we provide, uh, you know, most people have gone to the shaft grinding rings from the factory. You can also add them in the field. Um, what we look for is since, this problem um, is also based on lead length out to the motors. If you had a 10 fan condenser, for example, uh, not 100% of the time, but to a large extent, I would expect the motors further away to die first. Number 10, 9, 8, and 7. The others will die randomly, but the VFD is going to be harder on the motors that are further away from the VFD itself. And the shaft grounding rings are, are one type of insurance to try to prevent that specific type of arcing in the bearings uh, to prevent early failures on those. And, and, and I could go on and on about shaft grounding rings and, and what's going on, but, but that is one very specific type of failure in the condenser motors but that shaft grounding rings do protect against. Matt, do you guys recommend a specific like obviously a horse, horse and a half motor that already has them put in there. I know, I, I, I know they, on those, a lot of those projects, they end up putting us motors, bare speed motors in is what I see. But like, uh, do you guys recommend like a particular motor? I mean, because it seems like if you, if you throw some off the wall, like junk motor in there, it without shaft grounding rings, they last like a year and that's it. Yeah, we, we use U.S. Motors uh, motors. So what we did was we went to U.S. Motors uh, 15 years ago, and we looked at all the motors that, that we came across in, in the condenser world, uh, half horsepower, three-quarter, one horse and a half typically. And so we went to U.S. Motors, and, and we started designing motors. Uh, our first round of motors uh, 12 to 15 years ago did not have the shaft grounding rings in them. And they worked very well, but, you know, as time went on and we learned, we started putting the shaft grinding rings. So we have a, a proprietary motor that we designed with the help of U.S. Motors, and it has the shaft grinding rings already in it. It's 460 volt only, so it only has three wires that come out of it. Um, it has what's called carding between phases. If, if you look at the phases inside a motor, then the... Uh, the electrical sparks, if you will, are going to try to go from phase to phase. And that's where you get a lot of shorts. And so we took um, an insulative, like a cardboard or a phenolic, and we put it in between the three phases. And that, that enhances the protection uh, to fight against the phase to phase shorts. So what U.S. Motors did, kind of on the side, they saw that there was a huge market for HVAC motors for, for these applications. And so they took our designs for our motors and they made what's called the very tough motors. And the very tough motors come with or without the shaft grinding rings. And those motors are, uh, you know, um, very uh, extremely durable. Um, they're inverter duty. They pass all the NEMA, um, all the, the NEMA qualifications for inverted duty motors. You can get them without shaft grinding rings or with shaft grinding rings. And we call that an A motor. And we call our motor A plus motor because it's got a few more features in it um, that they didn't put in the very tough motor line. So to answer your question, 
U.S. Motors does have the product line that is called the Very Tough. And for condenser applications, that is a very robust and heavy-duty motor. Um, there are also a few others, like uh, A.O. Smith has a juggernaut. What they do is they put uh, conductive grease inside the bearings um, to try to, to suck up those voltages and get them to ground. But um, Regal Beloit has bought A.O. Smith, Marathon, uh, a lot of these motor brands, and they also have inverter duty condenser motors now that have the shaft grinding rings on them as well. We've had a lot of luck with, uh, you know, some of the Regal Beloit inverter duty condenser motors, but primarily over the years, we've used the U.S. motors, very tough line, um, and to great success. Yeah, so do, now if, if guys want to buy your guys' uh, your guys's motors, they, they have to go through motion industry to get them, or um, can that be something that can be bought from like the motor supply house? You kind of have to know. So there's a couple of answers to that question. So the very tough condenser motor line um, is available through any U.S. motors distributor, motor distributor nationwide. And so, you know, if you knew okay. what you wanted, you could get a very tough motor from uh, XYZ company in California or South Carolina, wherever you're at. Um now, we have the little bit better motor than that. They have special uh, part numbers. And as a matter of fact, the funny story, since we, since we designed these motors with U.S. motors, they came back to us and said, you've got to come up with your own part numbers for these motors because we're going to make them proprietary to Motion Industries. And so uh, I took the initials of my uh, three kids I took the initials, a friend of mine, the operations manager in Kansas City, Missouri. And so, for example, uh, one of the motors is FWA 0109.05. Well, that's Sawyer William Asbill, my nephew. He's born January 9th. <laughs> so uh, so I used, uh, unbeknownst to anybody, I used some birth dates to uh, assign part numbers to some of the motor lines that were proprietary to us. But um, since we're also uh, kind of, uh, it's called like a gold star premium distributor for U.S. motors, uh, Motion Industries has 500 branches nationwide, and uh, our, our parent company is Genuine Parts, and our sister company is Napa Auto Parts. So they're considered industrial, or I'm sorry, the automotive division. We're considered the industrial division. Well, with, with 500 branches, we buy a lot of motors from us motors and we buy a lot of their hvac products through our kansas city branch and so they made us a premium uh, hvac distributor for their components and motors and whatnot so you anybody can go into any us motors distributor nationwide and buy very tough motors um, but they can also get them from us it's probably less money it all depends on uh, you know the distributor that they're talking to but as a general rule, the Very Tough Motors is a certain product line from U.S. Motors, and it's available through their distribution networks nationwide. That brings me to yeah, two I, questions. Oh, sorry. I know I rambled. I would, I would love to get the. I know I rambled around. Man, I mean, those Very Tough, those Very Tough motors are great. I mean, we they hardly they hardly fail compared to the Juggernauts and other stuff, but. I mean, if you got a better version that already has the shaft grinding rings on them, I mean, I would love to get those part numbers because the ones that go into, you know, the Walmarts and Sam's and they do the retrofits. I mean, those some of those go four, three, four years without issues. I mean, some of them are older than that without issues as long as they haven't had a sprinkler on them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, which I don't, I don't know if it seems to be a problem here lately. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would love to get those part numbers because, uh, I mean, those, those are great motors. Yes. And I can give you um, the brochure and the part numbers for, for both the very tough as well as uh, our motor line. But what, what I will say is even though that that's a great product line and these are really good, very uh, durable motors, you know, uh, when I give my classes uh, to stores and contractors nationwide, I'm very, very careful that I don't say, these motors, if you buy these motors and you buy these motors from us, 
they'll last forever because that's well, that's not the case. There's a lot of things that go on uh, when you buy a motor from anybody um, for a certain application or a certain condition. Uh, for example, we sold some of our motors to a store and they failed and they failed and they failed. And they said, man, your motors okay. suck and we want a refund and we're going to go somewhere else. So I said, I, I will, it was only five hours away. So I said, I'll drive up there and we'll figure out what the problem is. And so when I got there, the, when I drove up, um, I could see the racks were, were outside on the ground. And when you looked up underneath the coils, it looked like a sheet of cardboard. The, all the coils were plugged like 90%. There wasn't any air going through the motors and all the labels were black because they burned up because there was no airflow at all. So uh, you have to be careful when you look at motor failures on a condenser or any application for that matter, anything industrial, HVAC, uh, you, you have to be careful not to be blindsided by what you think the problem is. And you just go down that path because there's like in the HVAC world, it could be your choice of motors. Uh, it could be the coils are completely plugged up. It could be as little as the fan blade placement. When you, we give part of our school, part of our training is on fan blades. Now I'm not a fan blade expert, but when you look at a fan blade on a condenser, typically it will have rivets and, and you'll be able to tell the center line of the blade where the, where the hub is. And that center line of that hub should be pretty close to the center of the, uh, of the metal. Usually there's a one inch wide metal lip where the Vituri is that the motor is placed in. And we have seen where the motors uh, were mounted wrong, where they were mounted in the wrong bolt hole pattern, or the the installer took the fan blade and mashed them all the way down, or he pushed them all the way up because the motor had like a six inch shaft on it. And if if they mount the very first fan blade wrong, they're going to mount them all wrong because they'll use that one as a pattern. And if you get that fan blade too low or too high, you greatly decrease the airflow uh, in that particular venturi and you greatly reduce the ability of the of the motor to cool itself and you'll every time that motor heats up you shorten the life by 50 percent and so if you heat it up and it's burning up and it's a 100 degree day and the fan blades are in the wrong place you just cut the life down by 50 percent so instead of seven eight years now it's four you let that go all summer and then that yeah. motor may last you less than a year, maybe six months, maybe three months, because you flat out just burned it up beyond the limits of the insulation inside the motor. And most of the HVAC motors, if you'll notice, uh, rely on the airstream of the fan blade that is turning to get rid of its heat. And so, um, you know, a another factor is not many people realize that when you, uh, on a VFD, if you give it a, uh, a run command, but you give it a zero speed command and the VFD is enabled and it says frequency zero hertz or run zero hertz, you have to keep in mind that it is putting out what we call magnetizing current to the motors. So if the motor is, is two and a half amps, there's going to be a half to one amp of current going out to the motors, even though they're not turning. And, and that magnetizing current at, at zero speed or less than five, six hertz will slowly cook the motor inside out because there's no air movement and there's no way for it to get rid of its heat. So um, early fall um, or uh, spring, when the temperatures are just right and the, uh, you know, the, the speeds go down, you have to be really, really careful about having a zero speed uh, control algorithm, because if you're not turning the motors uh, and, and the factory will say six hertz, usually they're, they're the inverted duty motors on a variable torque application will have a 10 to one speed range, which means 60 hertz down to six hertz. So if you're turning the fan blades less than six hertz, you have not much airflow and you're not cooling the motor and the motor will slowly burn itself up. And so you have to be careful that, that 
you know, if the pressure goes down, a lot of times it will revert over to half the motors, like in split mode. But there are various, yeah. various times where I've gone up, you can hear the motors humming and they might be turning or they might not be turning. And what that is, is you, you can hear the motors cooking themselves to death because they're not moving. And so the inverter duty motors, the very tough motors, uh, will will last longer because they have a higher grade of insulation in them. Uh, but they're still going to cook to death. Um, they're just going to last longer than just a common old everyday generic general purpose motor because a general purpose motor may have class B insulation. The inverter duty motors will have class F as in Frank or H as in Henry. And so you're just delaying the, the fact. So why, why do some customers, you know, uh, put in, I mean, I, I was told price when I asked this question to, to, um, to a customer and, and, you know, some customers they'll use class B. Um, and I've always been taught class F or above, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, as far as insulation, um, yeah. you know, basically if the motor, the, the idea behind it, from my understanding, since the motor is able to move slower, you're obviously not moving in as much air, right? So if you're not moving enough air, you're not cooling down those windings, which means the, the windings inevitably will, will heat up more. Is that correct? That is exactly correct. Uh, class B is what we call general purpose. Um, as a general rule, I don't use class B motors on VFDs, period. Now there are some applications you can get by with it if it's a general purpose and, and it's going like a two to one speed range. Um, and, and the motor is very, very close to the VFD within like 50 feet of conduit. But uh, on multimotor applications, on condensers, on HVAC, you should never use a motor on a VFD with class B Bravo insulation, in my opinion, because you're just, the motor's just not going to last. It just can't take that kind of abuse. Hey guys, I want to take a break and talk about Westermeyer, one of our other sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Westermeyer Industries, the leader in oil management and pressure vessels for the commercial refrigeration industry. See, just, just in the last two conversations we've had, I've, I've now just resolved probably three or four issues that I've been having. Like we, we've had, we had a store uh, where just randomly, um, you know, I don't know how random it is, but basically we'd have, you know, six or seven motors just go out. And, you know, you said about the distance of the, of the VFD to the wire, and this was one that was retrofitted. Uh, you know, one of the accounts that was basically put a drive in after. And that drive is probably an additional, you know, from, from the condenser down to the drive. It's probably 75 feet on top of being like a, a 10 or a 12 fan condenser fan, you know, fan. So, you know, I got some extensive length on the wires, you know, plus, you know, they also use the class B. So add those two together and that's, you know, the motors only last, you know, probably about, you know, six months, you know, and we, and they actually, the customer told, informed us that they wanted us to change out the VFD. They said, you can't fix it. You know, we're, we're just going to say, you know, let's change out the VFD. That's probably the issue. But now with everything that you're telling me, the grounding rings, you know, the length of wire, um, as well as the insulation, you know, I'm 99% I'm positive. That's probably it now. Yeah, and on the on the longer length, and like I said, for a six fan or an eight fan or a ten fan, you will accumulate the length of each motor. So it you know it adds up pretty quick. So when you start getting over about seventy five feet, then not only do you need the better motors, but you also need some sort of filter on the output of the VFD. All the VFD manufacturers will come out and say you don't need anything. We can go to one hundred feet, five hundred feet, blah blah blah. But the bottom line is, uh, at a bare minimum, when you have uh, a VFD, I try all VFDs, but definitely if the VFD is hanging on the side of the condenser, you can probably get away with it because the runs are going to be short. If the VFD is mounted inside the rack house and you have a 6, 8, 10 fan condenser, uh, at a minimum, you should always put uh, either an output load reactor on the VFD, or you, you can step up to what's called a DVDT filter, which is a, a delta V over delta time. It's the voltage rise uh, over time 
or you can go all the way up to a sine wave filter, but that's pretty expensive. A sine yeah. wave filter, you know, if you looked at a load reactor, it's going to be 150 bucks. The DVDT filter is going to be 300 to 350 bucks. The sine wave filter is going to be five or six hundred dollars. But uh, we use reactors as a minimum. And then when we have control over the job, we put the DVDT filters or the sine wave filters uh, for like Danfoss. And uh, they'll go a long, long way to protecting your motors long term as well. So, you know, everything that we've talked about, uh, the shaft grinding rings, the better motor, the good insulation, the output reactor or output filter. Um, the, the last thing that I can think of well, in the speed range, you know, 10 to 1 speed range uh, down to like 6 or 7 hertz. One of the one of the one thing that you said that triggered this response is you said that you've been called in for a retrofit. So when I look at retrofits, if you look at a lot of the wiring for condensers that came out of the OEM with no VFDs on them, if you open up the condenser control panel and you look at the motor contactors and you look at the three-phase cable that comes out of the contactors and goes out to each one of the motors, then 95% of the time, if you look at that, it will be three wires only. It will be the three-phase wires from each one of the contactors and that three conductor cable will go out to the motors. When you attach a VFD to any motor, any condensers in, in industrial or HVAC world, you, you need that fourth wire, the ground wire, much, much more than you do with, with it just sitting there. You, you cannot guarantee the grounding of a motor through a belly band or with it mounted on the sheet metal frame of a condenser. That's not the proper way to ground it. You have to have the fourth wire, which is a ground wire, that's landed inside the conduit box or the green ground screw or the green ground wire inside the motor. And that should go back to the ground grid that the VFD is operating off, which would be like your, your main. You, you know, you should have a good ground wire from the main, main breaker that goes to the VFD landed in that cabinet. And then that wire should go up to uh, your ind individual motors, they should all be grounded by a wire. Uh, you can never count on anything to be grounded by its mounting only through, you know, sheet metal, you know, especially if you're on a roof and, and the condenser is sitting on a, a plastic pad on top of the store. Uh, that particular ground of the framework itself is not the same ground potential as what the VFD is seeing. And that also will produce ground currents, which are slowly killing the motors as well. Kevin, is your brain melted or, or you got a question and you got another question for, for Matt here. <laughs> my, my brain's a little melted. Um, one thing I was wanted to ask you about grounding, Matt, I did a, you know, a bunch of VFD work. I've done a bunch of Walmart VFD work, but I did, uh, we did some bigger motor uh, VFD retrofit stuff. And we had some some weird drive issues, like uh, some of it was around grounding and shaft grounding issues. They actually made us drive a metal grounding rod outside of one of the racks. Um, have you ever had to do that before for for grounding issues? Like they made us gr uh, drive uh, like a six foot rod. Not uh, that's. That is a that is a good practice if you don't have a ground grid. Um, at the stores that I've worked at, typically we can count on the ground coming from the utility company to come into the equipment, and we have a good solid copper grounding bar. Uh, inside the the main, you know, the main breaker, and we bring that ground out to the VFDs. So, uh, so it all depends. I don't know why they would ask you to drive a ground rod unless you just flat out did not have a good grounding uh, grid, ground system. But my guess is that um, there were uh, there were other issues that they thought that providing a ground rod would cure and they were 
again, I don't know anything about your application, but my guess is you probably had a pretty secure ground if you could get back to it in the main. Uh, they were probably jumping to a conclusion by telling you to drive a ground bar, you know, um, again, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know your application and I don't know the circumstances. It, it was actually part of their spec. But I, I find it hard to believe. Well, if it's part of their spec, you know, the, the, what they're after is a good solid earth ground. You ne you'll need that for every VFD uh, application. Um, and so if they suspected that you did not have a good earth potential, then I can see where they would, uh, they're going to put that in their spec because they want at a minimum for you to have a good bonded earth ground. Uh, and you can get that from a six foot ground rod, um, depending on your soil and your moisture content and where you drove it. Uh, that would be a good earth ground potential to start off with. So I have a question. So um, I had called you the other week about, uh, you know, VFD sizing. Uh, Kevin had an issue, um, you know, a store he was working at, and that's what I called you about with the, you know, basically the, the compressor, uh, you know, doing the torque stall that we talked about. But I want to touch, you know, I want to touch on, you know, VFD sizing as far as, you know, condenser fan motors um, and compressors, and then basically talking about, you know, what could happen, you know, with the torque stall and stuff, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. Um, you know, for condensers, what I do is I look at the full load amps of the motors. You, you have to be careful with that because when you're, let's say you're, you're asked to put a VFD on a condenser and you get up there and you look at the full load amps of all of your motors. Let's say it's a six fan and you look at them and the full load amps is, is 2.5. And so you go, okay, 2.5 amps times six is my total. That's how big I need my VFD, that kind of amps. Well, that's kind of misleading. So what I've done over the last 15 years is uh, I've written down all the models of all the OEM motors, and then I've written down the models of all the major brands of inverter duty motors. And what you'll find is the newer uh, and newer generation and inverter duty motors will always have a higher full load amp rating than your older motors or your general purpose motors. And so what I do is, is I pick out, if it's a horse and a half, 1140 RPM, then I know that the the highest ampacity of any motor out there inverted duty is 3.5 amps. But you can look at motors from, uh, you know, Interlink, um, uh, different OEMs, and Dayton, Marathon, A.O. Smith. They may go down as, as low as 2.7, 2.8. And so if you base your calculations on what you're seeing in front of you, you can very, very easily undersize your VFD. So I will take the highest rating that I know is going to fit this particular application. In this case, 3.5. I'll multiply it by six fans for the six fan condenser. That'll give me a total. And then I'll add 10% to it for my service factor. And the service factor, not only does it give me service factor for the VFD, EFD, but what it also does is um, you have to keep in mind that all of the motors are running, uh, they all have a motor or a contactor that's controlling them. So if you size your VFD for the highest ampacity that you know, you know, a replacement motor would have and you put 10% on it, usually that will give you a little bit of buffer. If one of the motor contactors drops out, whether it's a, a thermal or whether the EMS control drops one out because, you know, it decided the pressure was too low. And if it drops out, if you're running 30 to 60 hertz, let's say you're running 60 hertz and you have one contactor dropped out on your six fan condenser and you got five motors running wide open. If that six contactor gets put back into the circuit, you don't you're not adding 3.5 amps you're adding about six times you're adding like 18 amps instantaneously to it uh, for a short amount of time but it's still 15 to 18 amps and that shock wave of current if you have not sized your vfd correctly will overcurrent 
or ground fault as EFD. And so that 10% service factor that we put in kind of buys you a little bit of time and it, it, it will cover all of the uh, incidentals that are going on out there with motors and contactors and not allow the VFD to trip out as easily as if you had sized it way too low. And so that's on condensers. Now, multiple, multiple motor condensers. If you're looking at compressor, um, you know, a compressor is not my realm of expertise, but I know, uh, for example, I was working on my house years ago and uh, the utility dropped in a, a 120 volt plug and I had to go about 150 feet to my shop where I was building it. And I had a, a just a, a regular old air compressor that I plugged into my 12 gauge extension cord. And it didn't have enough voltage to turn that compressor over for that first one or two strokes to get it going. And so what I had to do is I had to take the air compressor and either go within 50 feet of my 120 volt cord, or I had to take my 12 gauge cord and, and get it up to like a 10 gauge or eight gauge to give me enough power to turn that compressor over for his first stroke. So it would run. And so in, in the VFD world, when you look at a compressor or you're looking at a, uh, a rock crusher or you're looking at an auger that will start under load, you have to you look at the motor, the horsepower, the amps, but then you have to say, um, I'm going to start that under load like a rock crusher or a conveyor or that compressor is going to need a kick in the butt before it'll make its first couple strokes before it will actually get up and running. So that compressor is rated for, uh, you're not supposed to look at horsepower when you're sizing BFDs, you're supposed to look at amps. So if that compressor is rated for eight amps, then you go, you know what? I need it at least nine or 10 or 11 amps to cover the full load amp rating of that compressor. But more than likely, I'm gonna need the next size bigger to give it that initial uh, jolt of current so it will actually kick over and start running on its own. And then the, the ampacity or the current draw will go back down to a, a normal setting. So if you look at your compressor and it says 10 amps, you should, you should never ever look at your horsepower when you're sizing up a VFD. You should always look at full load amps, uh, you know, either 230, 460, whatever it is. On the compressor, you'll look at the amps and it will say, let's say it says 10. So you know that you're gonna have at least 150% starting torque on that, if not 200%. So if it said 10, you're gonna need at a minimum 15 amps, maybe closer to 20 amps, just to get that compressor to do its first couple cycles where it will start on its own. And then it'll pull less than 10 amps once it's running. Yeah, in my situation, now, there's ways around it. And, in my situation, it was a go ahead. 10 amp compressor and it they put a 10 amp drive in so every time it would go to start the drive would just instantly trip out yes because the vfd when you look at them then um the vfd will be capable of so many amps but they also have another rating typically they'll be rated for normal duty or heavy duty so normal duty that 10 amp drive may be uh, able to supply 150% torque for, uh, let's say, uh, 60 seconds. Um, the heavy duty one will only be able to give you like eight, eight, seven, eight, nine amps for a short amount of time. So uh, when you look at a VFD and it says 10 amps, you also have to look at, um, is this the normal duty rating or the heavy duty rating? If it will give me 150%, so you know, 10, 50% would be five, so that's 15 amps. How long will it give me that 15 amps? Is it gonna be three seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, or 60 seconds? And once you start looking at the, at the, uh, the normal or the heavy duty and how much extra amps it will give you for how long, that will tell you whether it's gonna be able to turn over that, that load or that compressor because for a compressor, you're going to need, you know, I'm guessing 150 to 200 percent of the amps for, you know, three to five seconds at the very minimum just to get it going. And a 10 horsepower 
or a 10 amp normal duty VFD is not going to have that kind of ampacity. Now there's there's little tricks to it, and and we tried all those. We tried to do the uh, the fixed boost to try to give it a, a jump start of you know instead of going zero to 460 volts, it starts out by putting 20 or 30 or 40 volts to the compressor to try to kickstart it. Um, you try to slow out your acceleration, or you try to decrease your acceleration, and you do little tricks like that when you're running out of amps out of the VFD. But in your particular case, none of those tricks work. Uh, you just don't have enough VFD to put. You just don't have enough amps to kickstart it. Yeah, I, well, we were doing a bunch of uh, VFD sizing at Kroger, and they were actually having us which i think a little bit was overkill it was like 30 to 40 percent oversized so if you had like a 30 amp load they wanted like a 30 to 40 percent safety factor built into the drive wow mm -hmm. and in what you can in that particular application what you can do is um you'll look at the the load and you'll get the full load amps and you put the full load of amps into your VFD, and hopefully your VFD will have, like in your case, 30, 40% more current, but it will always look at the what you put into the motor data. Um, I, own, I know that my full load amps is gonna be X, you know, let's say 20 amps, 30 amps, amps whatever. Amps. And so it will know that it has to throw 150 or 200% current to it to get it started. But once it gets started, it will still look at the full load amp rating that you put into the motor data block and it will not let that motor or that compressor uh, destroy itself by pulling too much current because you've you've told it the full load amps to protect against now with compressors um you know because i've never heard of an inverter duty uh compressor um is that because you know it's it's still cooling down the windings with the suction gas of the compressor. Is that is that why, or is there such a thing? Uh, there are. Uh, I don't know enough about compressors to tell you the exact answer if there are inverted duty compressors. What I do know is that uh, compressors will say if you put an inverter or a VFD on a compressor, they will tell you the speed range that you can operate in. And so uh, they'll say this, if you put a VFD on this compressor, you can only run it in a two to one speed range, 60 Hertz to 30 Hertz, because below a certain frequency or below a certain speed, uh, much like a pump, um, bad things will happen. It will, you know, a pump will cavitate or in the compressor world may not be able to uh, cool itself or move enough uh, of whatever it's moving in order to cool itself or it will, it will bind up inside and so um, I don't know whether there are inverted duty compressors out there. I'm sure they are. I'm, I'm sure that Carlisle has them. Um, we used to work with Carlisle on, on giving um, uh, inverters on some of their equipment and they, they had to have certain equipment that they would permit the VFDs to be ran on. But I know all of them will have a speed range. You just can't run them down to zero speed because you're gonna run into all kinds of problems. Yeah, mainly, mainly it's because of the, you know, most compressors have a, you know, a, a pump, an oil pump. And basically, if you're, you know, spinning that pump at a, at a you know, a lesser frequency, you know, basically, you're not building up that oil pressure. Um, and then basically, you're, you know, you're cutting out the lubrication. Uh, and then I know, like, bits are even, you know, the sling style compressors that they have, um, they start getting like a wicked uh, vibration if you go, you know, way, way too low. Just from my experience, you know what I mean? Um, Wouldn't the compressor be a constant torque yeah. load also? So, I mean, a constant torque load, I mean, once you hit that threshold, I mean, you're going to get shaft stall, correct? That is correct, yes. And it, Matt, if you could just explain, you know, so yeah, we've the, talked the compressor. If you could just explain Say that. that again. If you could explain shaft stall. About the. Uh, well, the, if I'm following you, there's there's two different types of applications: constant torque and variable torque. Um, the constant torque will be uh, it, it will require a constant amount of amps or, or torque over a speed range. 
the variable torque will require uh, much less energy to start off with, um, and so the 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 torque curve, if you will, is not linear. Um, so if you take a fan or a variable torque application, fans, some pumps, and you're running it wide open, um, you can slow down the speed of a variable torque application. And once you slow it down just a little bit, then the savings will be uh, this nonlinear. So if you slow it down, let's say 25%, you're actually going to save close to 50% of the energy. That's why so many HVAC companies or uh, or stores, if you will, the payback for a VFD, um, you're not going to see a payback in the summertime because everything's running 60 hertz wide open to try to keep the pressure down. But fall, winter, early spring, once you start decreasing the speed of the motor just a little bit, then you start seeing a lot of utility savings. And that's why VFDs are so um, interesting in the HVAC world is because they can have a ROI of one year, maybe two years, and pay for themselves very quickly. Now, Matt, the jump on that real quick. So um, you're talking about the energy savings. And uh, so I've been seeing this a lot lately with uh, some a couple of OEMs. When the summertime, when a drive or the PID of like an R controller is at 60 hertz or uh, 100% for the PID or 60 hertz for too long, they're actually forcing the condenser into bypass and bypassing the drive. Now, what I was told is they were, their fear was it was costing more energy to run the drive, you know, the extra amp draw and KW to run the drive at 60 Hertz than it would be just to run the motors, you know, on, on uh, across the line on the contactor. I mean, I feel that's not completely completely right i mean because at least with the drive you have you know the added benefit of uh the cleaned up power but i mean what, what's your thoughts on that yeah if it were up to me so let me start by saying that uh you're not going to see a big difference in cost uh, if the vfd is running 60 hertz because the vfd is very very efficient as a matter of fact there are settings in the vfds that can monitor the current going out to the motors. So there are times when we have a VFD on a motor and the motor's running 60 hertz. Then there is a setting on there called energy savings. Now it's called different things to different manufacturers, you know, Danfoss, ABB, Emerson, whatever. And it will look at the amps of the motor and it knows that the motor, the full load amps are 50 amps. And so if you're not pulling full load amps, but you're going wide open, there are settings inside the VFDs that can actually cut back on the voltage uh, going to the motor and keep it running at whatever speed you're running, 50 hertz, 55, whatever. But it will cut back on the voltage. And so the total power being consumed is, is actually less than running it across a contactor. So to jump over to the HVAC world, then if it were up to me after 15 years of looking at this, then I would run the motors in bypass and not the VFD because the VFD, if you don't have the right grounding, if you don't have the right grounding wires, you don't have the right motor, you don't have the right protection against long leads, if you run them in bypass for less June, July, and August, then in my mind, looking back on 15 years of troubleshooting and motor failures, then you're taking two or three months of VFD use off of those motors. And so you're not wearing them out because you have, you know, even if the VFDs shorten their life by a month, you know, over a seven year period, then if you, are you in bypass mode during the summer? If there's no reason to vary the speed at all, I would choose the bypass because I know that long-term I am preventing a little bit more damage that's caused by the VFD because most applications that I have seen in the field do not have the uh, accessories, if you will, to protect the motors uh, from the VFDs long-term. And so if you can take three months off of the motors being used on a VFD, 
then you've extended the life of that motor long term. Um, Honestly. Every clock, one shot, one try to stay alive till the cops come. Young Peel take the city by force. Got an impeccable lane while I'm riding on a horse. My gear, the whole shit's coated with explosives. The post-its that'll blow off your noses. 36 dynamite sticks round my kind of light ribs. I'ma light this bitch. I ain't the city's new dawn. Whether or not you got your shoes on and your roof's gone, let's move on. I bet you're sick of all that lame shit. That's why I came to murder everybody that they came with. Do it. Oh. Laurie, hey, you're home early. This place is a wreck. Who are these girls? You know, they're hookers, so it's fine. What the hell is this? Oh, my God, where are my manners? Laurie, this is Angelique, Heavenly, Shireen, and Sauvignon Blanc. I love you girls. You know, somewhere out there are four terrible fathers I wish I could thank for this great 